Since March 2020, collectively our experiences, relationships, and framework for understanding our day-to-day lives have changed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. As a society, we're navigating these challenges, seeing new opportunities, and facing the fear and beauty of the unknown as we adapt. Lore Arts has been collecting stories and talking to artists, farmers, academics, community leaders, and members who share their experiences and perspectives during the pandemic. I'm Fanling Suen. And I'm Ali Roback. And, and this, this is Pause. Pause. This conversation was recorded in March 2021. Today we interviewed Deborah Barnt, Diane Kreshmar, and Chandra Miracle, who are collaborators in the Earth to Tables Legacies Project. Since 2015, the Earth to Tables Legacies Project has brought together a small group of food activists across big differences, youth elders, rural urban, indigenous settler, Canadian Mexican, for an exchange around food justice and food sovereignty. Thank you for joining us today, Deborah, Chandra, and Diane. It's really wonderful to get a chance to speak with all three of you today on International Women's Day of all days. Just wondering where all three of you are now and if you can briefly introduce yourself and your role in the project. Start, I'm Deborah. I'm sitting at my kitchen table in Toronto looking out at a garden I hope can plant soon. And uh, my role, I guess, has been as the pollinator to try to bring people together to have this intergenerational and intercultural exchange. I'm Diane Kretschmar. I farm, I'm a settler farmer in the southern part of Muskoka. I'm sitting by my wood cook stove, nice and cozy. Out the window, it's cold and snow. I raise vegetables and some livestock. It'll be a while before I even see the garden, Deborah. I'm Chandra Maracle. I live at Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. I have four daughters. And in the Legacies group, uh, I have come to be known as the person who uh, reminds us that food is to be eaten and enjoyed and shared. And that food can be a way of uh, communicating in and of itself. But then we can gather perhaps around the table with many people that that itself can be a conduit for conversation for some things that uh, need to be discussed that maybe uh, we wouldn't feel comfortable doing otherwise. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Deborah, can you share a little bit more about the Earth to Tables Legacy Project What central questions, stories, and relationships did you want to bring forward to build as well as to explore? Well, I think uh, really this project came uh, from personal relationships. I want to acknowledge uh, Elizabeth Harris. That is how, in fact, I was able to connect ultimately with Diane. But basically, I think we all had some concern about the global food system, the problems, and and were involved in in inventing or recovering um, more healthy, sustainable, and just ways of growing and sharing food. For me, the deeper questions really emerged over the years, and that is that 
at the core is the lack of connection of people not understanding themselves as relating to all the elements in the earth that sustain us and that relations are central. Um, so the project has helped us through particularly our conversations with our indigenous partners to understand more deeply all our relations through the Thanksgiving address, for example, but also developing relations among ourselves has also been so central to the project and a process that takes time. And as Chandra says, it takes time to gather around the table to share food. It may be to visit Diane's field to get to know the sheep and the corn. Um, so I think relations, relationships and all our relations are at the core of both what we've been learning and how we've been uh, sharing our experiences and knowledges. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Deborah. Chandra and Diane, can you each describe how you became involved um, with the Earth to Tables Legacies project? I became involved when I met Deborah, and uh, I'll tell you what really impressed me the most that was early on. Chandra had come to Deborah and John's cottage, and uh, she brought cornbread. The, First Peoples Cornbread, uh, which is very different from, from what the Europeans call cornbread or polenta or any of those things. It was in July. I was exhausted from being in the garden all week. So before dinner, I had a bite of Chandra's cornbread with a few beans in it and a little bit of maple syrup on top. And within about 10 minutes, I could feel the energy of that corn, which was just what I needed. It's a very powerful way to eat corn. And it also makes you realize this is how the first people in this territory, this part of the earth, basically thrived and prospered because they had complete nourishment. I'm a farmer and uh, producing nutrient dense food is, is my goal in life. And uh, there Chandra passed it to me on a plate. It was incredible. Thanks, Diane. I always love hearing that story. Uh, I always love to hear when people appreciate uh, our boiled cornbread as much as I do. I've, I've said uh, recently that cornbread is, is so good, it heals past lives, I think. <laughs> and understanding the process of cornbread I think you'd have to agree that that can be true because it's it's quite a labor of love. It's a, a long process to make a wheel of cornbread. I came to the Legacies Project uh, after meeting Deb and Alex, another partner on the project, and uh, just immediately connected, you know, with the two of them as we talked food for hours, and. Uh, in the project, Diane is the farmer, certainly, and I tend to represent the other end, this, this table end. Um, although, as Deb and Diane have said, I, I have brought many things to the table, not just food, but uh, really sharing with them uh, a, a depth of Haudenosaunee history or Six Nations history. Um, prior to European arrival in this hemisphere 
and also uh, prior to the formations of the countries that we know as the United States and Canada. And then roping my, my partner Rick in to share a lot of his historian knowledge about Haudenosaunee history with everyone to really ground everyone in a place and in a space. And as Diane mentioned, cornbread is one to really do that. I could tell you a whole lot of Haudenosaunee history by explaining to you how cornbread is made and how it was first made. Mm. Corn is uh, such a significant feature throughout this work. And I was just thinking one of the videos on the Earth to Tables Legacies website, uh, we see Ryan, a member of the Water Reserve and collaborator in this project. Um, he gives you corn, Diane, to propagate. It's explained in the video that the practice of growing corn has actually been lost on the Water Reserve. Then we see you all at Chandra's table cooking tortilla out of the masa. It's pretty amazing to see this interchange of knowledge and legacy through the exchange of the seeds. I was thinking, Diane, can you talk a little bit more about that experience and uh, what you've done with corn in the last few years? Yes, well, I'm definitely trying to um, propagate Ryan's uh, seed that he's, he says is a thousand years old, given to him one cob of one ear of corn was given to him by his uncle. Um, but it makes me think back to a meeting that Chandra and I attended together with Deborah. And one of the questions was about corn and Chandra was Chandra and I were sitting next to each other and I started to answer and Chandra put her elbow in my ribs and said, hissed under her breath. You don't know anything about corn. And I said, I know I don't, but somebody asked a question, you answer it then. And it's true. Um, there's a lot of knowledge in the seed, but there has to be some knowledge in the farmer as well. And it's taken me years to understand in my way how to grow corn. And it certainly doesn't it's not the same as, um, well, Valiana, the, the Mayan person that's involved in the Legacies project also told me I couldn't grow corn the proper way because I don't know the songs and the celebrations that, that accompany various stages of the growth of corn. So I've had to bumble through probably six, seven, eight years um, of learning. Now I think I've, I've got an appreciation for how to grow corn, but it, it, isn't, it isn't rooted in the traditional ways. So I would say that means I'm at the mercy of uh, my ignorance. Thinking about the roles that each of you play uh, as food growers, community leaders, and educators, uh, can you share with us why do you think bringing together Indigenous voices and settler voices is an important step towards food sovereignty and also towards just passing on knowledge? 
Yes, to have food sovereignty, we need productive land. Our, our agricultural lands have become degraded. So that's a huge issue. And we can look to the first people for solutions because they survived on this land for at least 14,000 years before we got here, before the settlers got here, the colonizers. And um, we don't think in the same ways. So that to, to reconcile the ways, I say that reconciling the ways of knowing is an absolutely critical uh, thing to happen. And I understand the issue because I was trained in uh, science as a chemist and a geologist. And I worked in those fields for 15 years before I started farming. So I can see that the Western way of knowing is reductionist and takes things apart and, and studies little bits and then tries to put it all together again. It, it isn't always very successful, but I've learned from getting to know Chandra and Rick and a Mayan couple in Mexico and uh, other people that, that Deborah's introduced me to. I've learned that um, the cornerstone of their knowing is um, living and observing and passing the, the knowledge down through storytelling and ceremony celebrations and uh, I think the settler farmers have to learn from the first peoples their, their holistic view of uh, what what the earth provides and we also need to respect the earth and take and take our responsibility seriously nature knows the way to do things so you have as a farmer have to step back and see what's happening instead of trying to control what's happening because I can't control it. Once you learn to stand back and just take your responsibilities for stewardship of all parts of the land, including the soil organisms underneath mm -hmm. the surface of the soil, which we can't even see, so we tend to ignore. Yep, it's just, um, it's changed my way of thinking much much to the better. Big educational process. Yeah, thank you, Diane. I feel like we've sort of been fellow travelers on this, really my interest uh, in the project and knowing that we had to be learning and be led really by indigenous peoples and with their understanding, with a much deeper understanding of the interconnections of all living things, but also because I spent 20 years uh, basically you know, studying what was wrong with the uh, colonial industrial agricultural food system and COVID has only exposed that, people now have a much better sense of how that system has distanced us from our food. Um, you know, what the problems with the supply chain, the, uh, the exploitation of workers and migrant workers who has access to land and certainly in that sense, the deep injustice in terms of the land, uh, the, the stewards of the land, the original stewards, indigenous peoples also, you know, 
really, in, in, in fact, having been dispossessed, uh, moved, um, taken from, from their territories. So, I mean, I think that this conversation, and it's not an easy one because, you know, it's hard to look, uh, look ourselves straight in the eye and look at how we are all complicit with uh, this colonial practice and in, in our everyday actions. Um, but for me, that's been probably the most challenging and richest part of this project. And Diane's described it so well. And I think it does go deeply into ways of knowing and ways of knowing for me that are also um, not just about a kind of a, a, a mind consciousness, but are, are, are involve our whole bodies and our spirits. Uh, and I think spirituality is so central. Um, she named uh, the importance of ceremony. And, and that's been another aspect of our experience in the project is to recognize the importance of the way in which we come together and the way in which we acknowledge our relationship to all living things and the way in which we uh, prepare ourselves for having these conversations. So um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a lifetime and ongoing process of learning and I'm really grateful. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty loaded question. I guess you could say that's the million dollar question. Um, the thing about relationships is that good ones uh, should, have a fair amount of reciprocity and so you know right now we're seeing lots of things where indigenous folks are you know, contributing knowledge and sharing i believe as they always have um, with lots of groups and organizations and i'm not sure what the flip side of that is yet so i think that's where we are in terms of figuring that out um, personal relationships I get a lot out of. So for example, with legacies, I don't think any of us is not completely affected by participating in the legacies group. And I, I think that one of the strategies is that by having small personal relationships that maybe eventually they'll turn into bigger relationships, like nation to nation relationships. I think that's the way it sometimes happens particularly through the generations, mm -hmm. is that when people are educated now, you know, maybe then their children will be more so and more so. So that doesn't often leave us, you know, with a lot in the short term, but a lot of the thinking has to be long term because these things didn't happen overnight and they aren't going to rectify themselves overnight. So for me, I think, freely sharing the, the information that some of my family members and community members have shared with lots of groups, including legacies, is uh, one way, you know, one way of offering um, knowledge around how to have good relationships. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what that is in an Anishinaabe context, for example, or in a Diné context. You can only share that small amount that I know from a Haudenosaunee context. And one of the things that I know about relationships in a Haudenosaunee context is that when you begin matters, you often start with um, acknowledgement. And so at first it might be just acknowledging that um, the people that have gathered, we're going to acknowledge that we arrived here safely. 
um, about me, um, hopefully are well, you know, that we aren't sick and that maybe anyone in our immediate family isn't, isn't sick or affected. So we start with acknowledging all of these things about uh, what may or may not be happening, you know, to the, the group of people or to everywhere. And then we go into acknowledging all of these things that continue to allow us to have this expression of uh, gratitude and love and respect and thankfulness. And so then we acknowledge all of the things on the earth and the things in the sky and the things on the other side of the sky that allow us to continue you know, to have these human relationships. Essentially what that does is it sets us up to have discussions after we've decided and acknowledged that there is a whole lot of things that we agree on as human beings. And so once we do that, then we can get to the things that perhaps we don't agree on. And I think that is one offering that the Haudenosaunee have to the rest of the world, is that there is a way and an order to relationships. And in particular, for folks uh, who call themselves Canadians, um, these relationships were established a really long time ago. So one thing that Canadians can do is to revisit that relationship vis-a-vis the Haudenosaunee. And then you can go from there. So that's one possible strategy. Deborah, you'd mentioned this earlier on, but in terms of more people that we have to feed, the pandemic has really highlighted and kind of exposed the precarity of our supply food chain and just how delicate our industrial food system actually is. And maybe anyone can can speak to this, but where do you think we are now as we reevaluate our food systems within this pandemic lens, but also post? Chandra, it makes me think about how you talked about how really historically Haudenosaunee were had incredible productivity and uh, capacity to store food for a large number of people, and then given the current context where you you have been very involved in trying to re recover the corn corn culture and the not only in terms of healthy nutritious eating but all of the the importance that it has to a whole uh, cultural way of being and connecting well yeah for sure you know, the Haudenosaunee were a force to be reckoned with in more ways than one and for a long time, uh, I focused on that in terms of agriculture. But the reason I did that was because of old stereotypes, which were that all indigenous people were hunter-gatherers, um, you know, relatively undeveloped people. And so I often liked to bring forth that knowledge about how that, that certainly wasn't the case. And one of the examples in particular for the Haudenosaunee was their agricultural prowess and that it was really the corn culture of the east northeast um, in what became you know the u.s and i guess southern ontario so people often just for just forgot that knowledge that corn was here <laughs> when they got here and it didn't just you know happen in the 1980s when they started eating nacho chips you know <laughs> so there's rich corn culture 
uh, here that still survives and, and thrives, I would say, though certainly not in the way that it used to, but in pockets. Uh, so I really started looking more at this idea of a Haudenosaunee food system and realized that you know corn played a bit of a central role, but there were so many other things happening. And so having a really stable, secure food supply is what allowed Haudenosaunee society to thrive politically, socially, uh, spiritually, and you know, I guess agriculturally. So where does that leave us now is that we have a few folks throughout all of the Haudenosaunee community still growing several uh, ancient varieties of corn. And it's often um, no surprise to me that when I meet other corn-minded people that we immediately have this bond. You know, people who understand corn, you know, understand all of the stuff that comes along with it. You know, and even if you just know about it and you eat it and you cook it and prepare it in various ways, uh, there's a whole lot of knowledge there. So when Diane talks about you know, growing corn, um, I don't remember, you know, nudging her in the ribs, but uh, I'm sure we've had conversations about how you know, the whole spectrum, you know, just being human means that you are part of this legacy of needing to eat food in order to survive. So Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to be the best grower, you know, you don't even have to cook food, but be a responsible eater, you know. So for me, corn is just such a wonderful way of bringing people together around knowledge of not only the earth, but about community and the art of the social. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a really good in, you know, to this thing that we were talking about with relationship building. Mm -hmm. um, although I, I saw something one time, it, it uh, said something like, you know, relationship building is great, but you can just give the land back too. Yes. <laughs> well said. So, you know, I think if we were at my table, it might be a little bit easier to have that discussion. You know, that's my mm -hmm. whole thing is that when we're sharing a meal together, and it doesn't have to be at a table, but if we're sharing a meal together, then it puts us in a certain state you know, to be able to have some conversations. And that mm -hmm. ultimately is the conversation that we need to have. You know, we need to get to the tough stuff about you know, institutional and systemic racism and things that still happen to folks every day and social inequities and uh, why people are willing to put themselves on the road and block, you know, a railway you know, to defend territory. So we need to get to that too. Mm -hmm. We absolutely do need to get to these tough conversations. Where can people go to learn more about the Earth to Tables uh, Legacies Project? Certainly, we would like everyone to take a look at Earth to Tables, that's with an S, earthtotables.org. And you can go into the user section and there's a, uh, a 10 minute uh, guided tour of the, of the website because it is a little bit complicated. It'll show you how to navigate and particularly point you to the facilitator guides, which are for teachers and activists to use that really gets their communities involved in having these conversations. It's an ongoing process and all of our partners have their own projects that we're, we're trying to see how they might connect and where there might be some of that reciprocity that Chandra speaks of.
Excellent. I realize the time. I'm looking at it here, and uh, I do really want to thank all three of you, um, Deborah, Diane, and Chandra, for for taking the time to just share your your stories and your experiences and and your project. Well, thank you, and I want to say Happy International Women's Day. I'm glad to be with two of my favorite women on this day. <laughs> And I want to also honor Elizabeth Harris, as I said, who really has been a part of this, even though she passed away 10 years ago today. So I think it's a, a, another way to honor her, her legacy. Thank you for your interest, Penling. Thank you. Thank you.